happy Women of Strength Wednesday. We are really excited today. Um, this is episode number 126. And we have our friend. And I say friend because she is our friend. She is. <laughs> it's a long story. We're going to get to it in a little bit. But we have our friend Laurie here with us. And she's going to share her story. And we're going to talk about low-lying placenta, anterior placentas, placenta previa, all of those things for you. So we hear a lot from people in our community um, and we get questions all the time through email and Facebook and Instagram about anterior placentas or low and or low-lying placentas and how that impacts your chances for feedback. So we are going to talk about that today and I'm excited because we haven't talked about that for a little while. So before we do that, I just sent Megan a review of the week and it's a long one. And if you have been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that Megan has a little bit of a harder time reading the long reviews. <laughs> I can't. It's just, I just not. It's okay. It. We love you. We love you still. And oh I picked gosh. the smallest one I could send. It's like my brain goes ahead <laughs> of my eyes. Yeah. Like, like reading and talking <laughs> at the same time. It's hard. Yes. It's hard for a lot of people. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Okay. All right. So, this is from River. And it says, as a mama who had an unnecessary cesarean and a poorly planned VBAC attempt that failed and resulted in cesarean, listening to these stories and information gives me hope for the future. Not only do I hope to have a third baby and successful VBAC, but as a new doula and experienced birth photographer, I can't wait to support other women through their VBAC journeys. I look forward to sending my clients your website and podcast, and not too far in the future, take your VBAC doula course myself. I love the way you present facts and information while giving mamas a platform to share positive stories at a topic that are not too scary for so many people. Thanks for the lack, thanks, thanks to lack of inf- education. See, I almost finished it. So it says, I love the way you present facts and information while giving mamas a platform to share positive stories about a topic that is so scary for so many thanks to lack of education. Does that make more sense now? (laughs) I think Um, you did a wonderful job. Well, thank you. Thank you. And (laughs) thank you, River. And we would love to have you as one of our VBAC doulas. And we would love to hear your VBAC story. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, all right. Are you guys ready for a really, really funny story about how Laura came into our lives? <laughs> um, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about, more about Laura first, and then we're going to talk about the last part. Um, the story. Um, Laura is a marketing consultant and OG VBAC Link podcast listener. That's right. She's been with us from, since the beginning. <laughs> and she's a mom of three who births three different ways with three different providers and hospitals. 
Her birth journey mirrors her life journey of unconsciously going along with outside voices to waking up and listening to herself and trusting her own intuition. She feels like the Einstein quote about coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Is that play? I like that quote because when, because I met both or because she met, I'm like reading Who's this having as well. a hard time? I'm struggling. <laughs> this is new. We're like trying out something new this, this time. Like this is the first time we've done it. So I, I need to it. be better at preparing. Yeah, okay. It. So she met both of us by chance at interesting times in her birth journey. She met me at my best friend's baby shower when she was pregnant with her first baby. And mm-hmm. then she met Megan um, on Facebook Marketplace <laughs> before she got pregnant with her V-Bag baby. Ottoman. Just just a little side note um, about Laura <laughs> is her house is ridiculously adorable. She has quite the taste for fashion and design. And I did. I fell in love with her ottoman that still sits in my front room. And that is how I met her. <laughs> okay, can we just talk about the fact that, like, I met her first at my best friend's shower before the V-Back link even existed. And then <laughs> she hired you as her doula. <laughs> well, Laura, sorry. I'm sorry. You live further away, Julie. <laughs> I moved away. <laughs> it's okay. I give you a hard time. It's funny how... It's funny how it really is just such a small world. Like my best, my best friend, I was her doula at her first birth. Well, I was with her doula and then I was pregnant. I just barely found out I was pregnant at that baby shower with my surprise baby. And so it's just funny how that was my third. Yeah. So it would have been my second feedback pregnancy. And then you were pregnant with your first and ended up having a cesarean. And then we ended up forming the VBAC link and then Megan bought your ottoman (laughs) <laughs> and then it's just been so cool to see how like everything just interconnects. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I'm going to have to tell Desi to listen to this one because, because she loves you. I know she loves you because she just loves people. With yeah, them. she's great. Well, I have to say thank you to her because she is the one, I mean, I, I met you at that shower, but then she posted like about the VBAC link for you on, I don't know, her Instagram story or something. And I was still I moved away, but we were neighbors, but I'm, you know, we're still on social media. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. Thank you, Desiree. And then when I started listening, I was like, Julie, oh, she was there. Okay. This is how, you know, Desiree knows Julie. And so <laughs> anyway, yeah. So then from there I was a listener. And then when Megan showed up, we're literally carrying this ottoman out of my house. And I see, I was like, she sounds so familiar. We're chatting and I see her. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say this, Megan. <laughs> You're totally fine. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> it. I saw her license plate, which says doula on it. And I was like, yeah, Megan. And she was like, yeah. <laughs> so. I was like, yeah. And she was like, Megan from the Maybach link. I was like, I got, yes. <laughs> Dude, she totally called me after that happened. And she's I like, did. guess what just happened to me? This was like when we were brand new. We were this is your brand new babies. Like, and I was like, we were so like, excited. I was like, she was like, you will never guess what just happened to me. I was buying an ottoman and someone recognized my voice from the podcast. <laughs> it's true. I totally did. It was, it was weird. And yeah, I almost asked and then I was like, that was, that'd be so weird. So luckily your license plate is personal. Says doula. Yep. <laughs> I, I love, love that story. It's so fun. So, so fun. Okay, well, gosh, we don't want to take up too much time with the chitter-chatter, although that is so much fun, but we want to make sure you have plenty of time to tell your fun story. 
so we're just going to let you get to it, Miss Laura, whose introduction I watched and is a friend of my best friend. <laughs> and awesome. of Megan. <laughs> so many connections. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so I, like Julie said, I have three. So my first was actually a vaginal birth. And I think from the outside and even kind of to myself, I was like, this is, this is like the, I don't know, societal ideal. I had a medicated vaginal birth. But after my C-section, I realized that I just got super lucky that I didn't have a C-section on the first one. And I think, I think that's a lot of people. Your first is a lot of luck because you, at least for me, I, I didn't research at all. Um, <laughs> not at all, but I, I didn't know enough. And so I just got lucky. I literally picked my provider off Google instead of asking people. <laughs> and I went with the hospital down the street. And luckily I found out after, but her cesarean rate is between nine and 15%, which is pretty good for Utah Valley. And so I, I got lucky because she, you know, I went in and I, the one thing I did know was that I was worried about, I did, I knew enough to be worried about cascade of interventions, but I didn't know enough to have that not happen. And so the one thing I had heard is if you delay your epidural, that, that can help. So I stubbornly <laughs> waited. I was in labor for over 12 hours and I was not progressing. I was at a two and my provider let me stay because I was crying. <laughs> and my nurse finally, she's like, well, why don't you want, you know, an epidural if you're planning on it? And I was like, I don't want to have a C-section. And she's like, you know, some people, it helps them relax and maybe it'll progress faster. So I listened to her and luckily for me, that was true, but I also couldn't feel anything. And you know, and you also have no idea how to push. So I pushed for three hours on my back and luckily my, and, and got a fever and my provider luck, like rock solid, never mentioned C-section, didn't pressure me. And she, she was just really chill. And luckily I was able to have my first vaginally and the recovery was great. And I kind of just was like, great, you know, check that off. And I didn't think too much about it. The one thing that I do look back on is I was at a 10 and she came in and was like, oh, great, you're complete. You know, I'm just going to let you hang out for an hour and let the baby come down. And I was like, oh, rest and descend because we did just the hospital birth class where they tell you kind of the basics. And they had said that. And I remember her looking at me like, oh, you know what I'm talking about, like in a surprised way. And I remember being frustrated because I was like, yeah, because you literally have told me nothing in any of my appointments. Yeah. Um, you haven't educated me at all. And so just, I just remember her look of surprise that I knew anything, you know, and I, in the middle of having a baby. And so that was, that was kind of the one thing from that birth was just the lack of education that was, really, you know, that's kind of just the culture. So we moved and then got pregnant with our second. And my first had been really easy, no hiccups and not enough education to know what hiccups could happen either. <laughs> and so at my 20 week ultrasound, I go in and luckily baby looks great. But the ultrasound tech says, ooh, you know, your placenta is really close to your cervix. And she's kind of trying to measure it. And 
it's not covering the cervix at all, but it's really close, but they can't get a great measurement. And, and so you do your, where I was getting treated, you get your ultrasounds at the same place maternal fetal medicine is. So that maternal fetal medicine doctor came in and said, oh, he was really nice. And he was like, hey, you know, you have low-lying placenta. Don't worry about it. He says it seriously resolves in almost everyone. I think it's so silly that we make you schedule a 30-week ultrasound because you're, as you know, as your uterus grows, your where your placenta is implanted will move away from your cervix. And I think it's a waste of money. He's like, don't spend any time worrying about this. And then I was like, great. And I didn't. <laughs> I just kind of took his word for it that it wasn't a big deal. And I think, I don't know the exact stats. Maybe Julie knows because she's a genius. But I, it's, I seriously think it's like over. <laughs> for that compliment. <laughs> I think it's over like 85% or 90% of if you have low-lying placenta at your 20-week, it'll be cleared by delivery. So I went back at 30 weeks expecting them to be like, great, you're good. And that was not what happened. It had barely moved. And so that was disheartening. And I went to my appointment with my new provider the next day. And once again, I was lucky with my provider. I feel like that <laughs> that is a theme. She was my second choice, but I, was, I ended up being glad I went with her. And she was like, you know, you haven't had any spotting during your pregnancy, you know, no bleeding, and you've already had a successful vaginal birth. So even if it doesn't clear all, like, even if it doesn't get to, they want it two centimeters away from your cervix is kind of the check mark for them to say, yes, you can um, have a vaginal birth. So she's like, you will do a trial of labor and I'll support you. And we might have to do it in the OR, which kind of freaked me out, but yeah, it'll be fine. And so she made me feel a lot better about it. And then they scheduled me for a 36 week um, check to see if it had moved by then. So at 36 weeks, I go back, they wanted an exact measure this time. So they had to do a vaginal ultrasound, which I didn't even know was a thing. And they still couldn't get it because baby was so close to the cervix because it was the placenta was implanted so close there. Wow. And so the maternal fetal medicine, a different maternal fetal medicine doctor came. This dude was huge. And he lifts, you know, I mean, I think anyone who's had a version it was very similar to that. <laughs> Lifts the baby and then the ultrasound tech is trying to get the measurement. And it was, oh my gosh. It was very uncomfortable. But, it sounds uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So I was only, it was 1.6 centimeters was the exact measurement that we got out of that. Oh, so, perfect. Well, yeah, still not too. And so this guy, this internal fetal medicine doctor was much more scare tactics. And he said, I mean, I remember because I went home and broke down, <laughs> but he was like, your placenta, I can't remember his exact stat, but it was essentially this amount of blood passes through your placenta every minute to your baby. And if this, you know, detaches or abrupts while you're, cervix is you know dilating then your baby's not going to get any oxygen and your baby can die and you can bleed out and die and it was very like everybody's gonna die (laughs) 
Oh and, my gosh, how scary. Like that, and, like yeah, how are you yeah, supposed to feel scary. like that as a mom who's 36 weeks pregnant? Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of, it felt like, and this can happen at any second. And it was like, ah! and if you start bleeding, you need to come in immediately. And it was just very, it was a totally different feeling from the first maternal fetal medicine doctor and my provider. And he was like, I'm telling your provider that she needs to schedule a C-section immediately. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell on you. Yeah, exactly. It was so weird. It was like, and it was weird too because it felt like, I, I was like, how does this work? Does he trump her? Like, is he her boss? Like, <laughs> so obviously you want yourself and your baby to be safe. That's, you know, that's like a given. But nobody wants a C-section because nobody really wants to have major surgery for the most part. And and I, I had a toddler. And so I was like, this is not ideal for me. So anyway, I went home and cried. And I, it was good because I just was like, I'm giving myself this whole day to just be sad. <laughs> and it was great. It was really nice to cry and to kind of like mourn and to accept the possibility and just kind of feel like, I, you know, think about why I didn't, didn't want a C-section and kind of feel I, I I ended up feeling peaceful about the the chance the really high chance that it would happen and I felt like I don't know I just had this feeling of like this isn't gonna affect all the like we kind of want a bigger family I think it'll be okay still and so I went into back to talk to my doctor and I was feeling sad but okay about it and she was once again luck of provider she was like oh no, you know, you're close enough to, to, I still feel comfortable, you know, giving you a trial of labor. And she walked back the OR thing, which I was glad about because the first time she, I was like, are we still going to do it in an OR? And she was like, what? And I was like, okay, she doesn't remember. She said that to me, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) But she, she said, but I do want to schedule an induction because some of the other providers in this practice aren't going to agree with it. So I think I need to be the one that's there so that I can actually have a shot. Um, Mm. And so that was kind of interesting too, because I was like, you know, that's something you don't consider sometimes is the other providers that in the practice that you signed up with. And so I, it was excited. She scheduled a C-section for 39 and two days, which I was fine with because my first, I had her at 39 and five and I went into labor on my own. So I was like, well, we'll see if I even make it. What if I have him a little earlier? Like going to labor on my own a little earlier could happen still. She was trying to be safe. So that didn't happen. But anyway, so I was feeling really good. That was the week of, that was 36 weeks at the beginning of that week. And then I woke up for the ritual early morning pee that I think all (laughs) end of pregnancy women do at five in the morning. And I sat up and I was wet and I was like, oh, first thought was definitely I peed my pants. And <laughs> I stood up and I was like, okay, my water is broken, but it was dark. And so I went to the bathroom and I flipped on the light and it was bloody, a lot of blood. It was enough to be like, oh crap. And everything that the maternal fetal medicine doctor said to me came rushing back, obviously. And so I like started drill sergeant ordering my husband around like hey we're going to the hospital now wake up and I'm bleeding and go get me a rag towel that I can use as a diaper (laughs) and we had had the plan we had a scheduled you know scheduled induction and so 
my husband's mom lives an hour away. So she was just going to come for that. But it's five in the morning and I'm like neighbors and I'm just like, you know, so worried because there's a good amount of blood and I hadn't, I mean, I really hadn't spotted her anything this whole pregnancy. So I was like, we're bringing her, we're bringing the toddler, we'll figure it out at the hospital. And it's five, you know, it's not like you can go knock on somebody's door, it's five in the morning. So, and I was just like, emergent, you know, just emergency brain, like we can't, we can't figure this out right now. So we hop and, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, is he okay? I'm not feeling him move. Um, We get in the car. Luckily we only lived, I mean, maybe 10 minutes to the hospital. And so he, he moved one time on the way there. And I was like, okay, like we're okay for the moment. And my husband was awesome and grabbed a wheelchair and wheeled me in somehow carrying our toddler and get to the front desk and admitting. And I was like, I told, I was like, I'm 36 weeks. I have low lying placenta. I am bleeding. Like, I'm thinking like, this is an emergency. Like, you know, like let's, hi, you know, and they're like, oh, okay. Let's, you know, they are like, (laughs) for a mom who's like, I need to know if this baby's okay. Hook me up to, you know, a heart monitor for him. They are like taking their time. They're like, are we going to like, do we put her in triage? Do we admit her? They have to go find the head nurse of the unit and ask her then I'm like rolled in there and they're this is weird this is like my birth with Megan too they're like the computer systems are rebooted overnight and they're like oh my gosh (laughs) I know right Megan I I forgot about that but um, like two in the morning I was at the birth of the U and they rebooted the systems at two in the morning and I'm like what the why why did they do that yeah, and so there's, like, these two nurses in my room because it was pretty slow, and they are, like, chatting about the computer and not, like, they're, like, oh, we'll hook you up as soon as this comes, like, back up, and they're not, like, I was just, like, what? Like, okay. I mean, I wasn't, like, gushing. I, it was hard to tell because I, my water was broken, so I'm leaking, but I felt like I had seen enough to be, like, okay, this is, you know, good amount of blood here. I, and this is when this kind of goes back to like, I didn't, I wasn't advocating for myself. Like I'm super frustrated, but I just, I didn't say anything. And I think that's so crazy in retrospect that I wasn't like, Hey, I need some reassurance here. Is my baby? Okay. Like, you know, I, cause it's the, well, they know best. Maybe I overreacted like is the thoughts that's going through my head. And, you know, maybe I'm being, like silly and I you know over blew this and I made you know my husband bring my toddler maybe I'm being crazy here so they finally get me hooked up they did the little test to see if you're actually leaking amniotic fluid and I was and then and the heart his heart rate was fine and so they're waiting for a doctor from the practice to come and check me out and decide what to do and in the meantime my husband's like figuring out who to drop the toddler off with and it's going so slow and the doctors, they're like, ah, we'll get someone that he's like, well, maybe I'll, I'll just take her home and feed her breakfast and then take her over to who we figured out to drop her off with. And I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, sure. Like, like I, on the way there, I'm thinking I'm about, I, I'm going to have this baby. I'm going to have a C-section. Like, this is what's happening. And so, but because they were so like, la, 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 I was like, maybe I'm crazy. Like, sure, go home. Like, you know, <laughs> I guess I'm not having a C-section immediately. I don't think you're going to miss anything. So he leaves and the doctor from the practice shows up who's 
kind of funnily was the one I had wanted to start with, but had been booked. And I'm, this is why I know I'm glad I got the other doctor is she comes in and she's, she's trying to figure out what to do. And she's like, okay, well, I don't want to check you because you're bleeding. Uh, like, I don't want to, you know, feel, stick her fingers up there. And so she got a, I think it's called a speculum. Don't quote me. I'm not medical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah. little thing that she looks up with, with the, the metal. Like yeah. What they use in like a pap spear. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So she's looking up with that and she's like, Ooh, I'm seeing a couple big clots. And then she does an ultrasound to figure out to see, cause I'm like, am I pretty sure my water broke? And there's like lack of communication cause they already did the little thing and they're like, yeah, your water broke the nurses. And I guess they didn't tell her cause she does the ultrasound and she's like, no, I, your water's not broken. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> and wait, what? They did a test before and your water was and now they're telling you it wasn't? Yeah, so they did like the I don't I want to call it a litmus test, but that's not it's like a little thing that they take the water that you're leaking and then it turns blue and they're like Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's an amnio strip. Yeah. yeah they did that and mm-hmm. I like they were not there when she walked in and I don't know I guess the the computer wasn't working, so they didn't chart it or something. <laughs> oh my gosh! And so I didn't. And that's the other funny thing is, I didn't like contradict her. I didn't say, "Oh, you no, were like, oh, they already said this." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. It's just once again looking back, I'm like, why don't I just be like, "No, you're wrong." Like they did the strip thing, and then you know. Anyway. But again, when you're in labor, you just are not in your right set of mind. Yeah, like, yeah you're not then, in your thinking. Brain. And David wasn't thinking. there, and so like. It's just like you, yeah, like you don't know, like what, you don't know what to say, even though you know that you were just told that, like you don't know to say that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so she was like, okay, well, we're going to do a C-section. Like, it's not like this is what's happening to you or let me educate you or slow down. She's like, okay, well, we need to do a C-section. There's a lot of bleeding and we'll get that scheduled and they need to get everything set up. And all of a sudden there's like a million people in the room and everybody's actually like the nurses are actually looking alive. And I remember one nurse asked another nurse or maybe anesthesiologist. I can't remember. Somebody who was in there asked somebody else and said, well, how fast are we doing this? And they're like, stat. Like, <laughs> like this is an emergency now. What? All of a sudden, this All is an emergency sudden. now. Wow. Yeah, like, we need to do this so quick. And it was just, once again, I was like, seriously? <laughs> because that was my instinct when I came in. And, you know, it's just this weird back and forth. And, and then I'm trying to process, too, like, well, what happened? Like, you know, my doctor is saying you're a great candidate for vaginal birth, you know, even though it's not cleared. And so I'm like, well, and it's not like I knew enough to, I mean, they would have been, I would have been in distress if it had abrupted. I knew enough to be like, okay, obviously it's not fully abrupted, but like, why did suddenly this happen? It's 36 weeks and five days, which is, uh, you know, kind of in the back of my mind, I'm like, we're not full term technically, you know, like what does, nobody's like, so the NICU team's going to be there which it, they were, but no one said that. And so it's just like, once again, it was back to like, it's happening to you and we're not educating you on what's happening and you're just left to process. By this time, it was close to, I think like 6.37-ish and my provider was getting to work and my actual doctor. So she walks in and 
thank goodness for her. She was like, I am so sorry. And she was so sincere and like, dang, you know, and I was like, yeah, you know, best laid plans. And she's like, I know, you know, like it was just nice for her to commiserate. Like she didn't come in and educate me. She was like, I, you know, I'm here so I can do your surgery. And, and I, I, she had no way of knowing. I don't know what, if she would have done differently and educated me more, but it was because she didn't, she wasn't there for all the lead up, but it was just nice to have her commiserate. Isn't that nice when you have a provider that's, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so just like having her do the surgery and her knowing that that was not what I wanted and her and me knowing that that's not what she wanted for me was a big deal for me. And then obviously I called David and I was like, um, so they're doing, they're prepping me for surgery. Like stat, you need to hurry (laughs) and they're not going to wait for you. So I have had surgery before I broke my ankle when I was 12 and it was very traumatizing. I had to get a plate in, but So I knew that was kind of nice because I was like, oh man, they're going to wheel me to that narrow little table with those lights, those huge lights overhead. And so at least it was kind of nice to have that prep, but they wheeled me there and I had been holding it together. And when I had to turn on the table to curl up for my spinal, I started freaking out and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, cause I was alone and that's really scary to go into the surgery I wasn't concerned about the surgery. I was concerned about being awake during surgery and feeling it. Um, yeah. Because you're, I mean, that just is pretty, I think it's overwhelming. And so I was like kind of trying, I was very, very close to just breaking down right then. And I was so grateful when whatever cocktail of whatever the anesthesiologist gets hits you, it's, I know there's there's got to be some sort of, Thing, you know, anti-anxiety relax. Thing. There is. Yeah. There is. Yep. And I remember being so grateful because I no longer like was able to access the emotions of fear and I could only feel calm and relaxed. And I was really grateful because I was on the edge of freaking out. I was like, well, now I don't care. And I feel kind of sleepy and that's great. That's where I want to be with this. And luckily my husband made it in right before they started So that was nice to have that support. And the anesthesiologist was also very friendly and chatty, which made it helpful and distracting. And so anyway, uh, he, my little boy was born. I got to, he, they got to, you know, lift him up and show me. And my doctor was like, this is not, this looks like a full term baby. And he was one ounce less than my full term and one inch longer. And the NICU team just looked at him and was like, this, here, take him back. So it was so nice because David, wow. yeah, it was, I, I'll tell you my theory of this after, but I got to like, look at him as my husband held him while they sewed me up. And th- as soon as I got back to the room, my nurse immediately unwrapped him and we did skin to skin and he was an amazing nurser so early, which was crazy. And so it just, it was so nice. Like, like it was the best C-section possible just because he was doing so well and we got a full hour together. So it was, I think, a really like close to best case scenario from that respect. And it was also nice because I, <laughs> I had him in the morning. And so, and after a full night's sleep, which, you know, that doesn't happen all the time. And so it was just a great day because I got to just snuggle him all day and I was, I had slept. And so it was, it was pretty good. I, I think that he was, I think his dating was wrong and he was probably a little later because he was about the same size as my daughter. I assume 
that I started dilating more and that's when the placenta started to rip because it was it was really too close and so it just broke a little bit and then there we were so that that's my theory it's like I was getting closer to just going into labor naturally and personally you know I think when I think back I, I wish I had asked more questions so that they could have educated me and told me in the moment. But processing after, definitely I was like, well, what was the option for, like, what was my real option? I was bleeding enough that it was concerning. So they, it's not like they could have, I wasn't really having contractions. I was having some Braxton Hicks while I was there, it, like in the hospital waiting, but it wasn't, it wasn't really anything. So they couldn't have, I don't, I don't think I wouldn't have felt good about it. They would have never done it you know, giving me Pitocin or anything to start labor to have a chance for vaginal. I do think I've kind of made peace. I personally think it, it was a necessary cesarean. I just don't love exactly <laughs> how the, the process how went of, down. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so there's that. And, and I knew immediately, luckily my cousin had had a VBAC. And so I was like, I want a VBAC. As soon as I went for my six week appointment, that was the first question I asked was, what do you think about a VBAC? And she's like, oh yeah, I was going to tell you, you're the perfect candidate. I think you totally should, you know. Oh, awesome. That's so good to hear. <laughs> and the thing about that I, you know, learned as I became educated on placenta previa, low-lying placenta, any kind of placenta placement issue. I mean, it's just chance, right? It's the egg gets fertilized, it rolls down and it implants wherever the heck it's going to implant. And so it's kind of when you have the the good thing is providers don't say, Oh, you know, don't have a V back. You have this contraindication. They're like, Oh, well it was just chance where your placenta landed, you know? So that's kind of, it's kind of nice because it didn't bias anyone against me um, for next time. So anyway, I knew I wanted to V back. Desiree was awesome and posted about the VBAC link, started listening, met Megan. (laughs) And I do have to say like, it was so, I mean, I I think it it was a definite, like you guys worked on me, (laughs) like my mindset of, you know, of just what my options were and that I was in charge. And I think the other thing too, was I was, I was definitely one of those people who was like, Providers know best. Just do what they say. And I had had enough experience with not being educated and realizing that, you know, <laughs> you blind trust was not a good option. And I think, so the funny thing is with Desiree, Julie knows this, like Desiree's first birth was at a birth center. It was very intense. Um, it was so intense. Yeah. And she told me all about it. Hard. Yeah. She, yeah. Wow, oh, man. She's a warrior. She's awesome. But you know, I, I, while I was like, that's cool. Like, I, I mean, I, at the time I was like, that's so cool that you chose that. And that was really hard and crazy, but I was like, I would never do that. I would never have to do it. I would never go to a birth center. I was just like, I was just straight up biased against that. And so listening to all these women's experiences and now wanting this thing, this VBAC option, that's kind of outside the accepted norm for a lot of people. It, it was just interesting because I, it definitely changed my perspective a lot and made me move way more open, which I'm really grateful for. So because of the podcast, I was debating getting a doula, but I was definitely like, Oh, you know, do I do it? Do I not? I, I am very much a 
people pleaser and I struggle advocating for myself. That's something I'm working on. So meeting Megan, like all the things happening, I was like, this is meant to be, I just need to go for it. So I brought it up to my husband and he shocked me by being, by saying, yes, please, please hire a doula. (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. She bought your ottoman at the perfect time. (laughs) I know. Well, I mean, poor guy, like first birth, we went to birth class and once again, we're so naive first time parents. And we were like, well, we're going medicated. And they talk about pain stuff for two seconds. And I was in labor. We went to the hospital and got sent home actually with my first, because I was, I had been in labor most of the day and I was, it was contractions five minutes apart, 30 seconds long or whatever, you know, and it was getting hard to deal with. So we go and I'm like, yay, I get my epidural. And they're like, oh, you're like, I, I had actually had a doctor's appointment that morning and I was at a one and a half and then that night at 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> I was the same. And then I didn't progress at all in the hours. So they sent me home. Aww. And I remember both of us, like when we got sent home, we were like, what do we do now? Because we were like, we were planning on medic, like an epidural, but you, they don't say like, okay, you don't just get it when you go into labor, you know? <laughs> so we had zero, zero, you know, pain techniques. And I like, I mean, it was, it was a rough night. I ended up swaying on my hands and knees on the bathroom floor because I felt so nauseous for like, for most of the night. But I think it kind of traumatized my husband (laughs) to not know, like not have any way to help me. And I couldn't coach him on how to help me. So I think that's why he was so open when I was like, I want to do that. He was like, yes. I mean, Megan will tell you. He was like, just tell me what to do. He was amazing. Like amazing. I love that so much. Yeah. Full advocate for doulas and and both of them having extra support. Yeah. And it was important. Like, I'm glad that he got the extra support because I kind of felt, I mean, even in the C-section, he was, he's not <laughs> into the whole surgery thing. We talked before because we knew we might have a C-section. I was like, you don't have to look. You don't have to watch. Like, don't worry. I don't care. And he's so nice. The anesthesiologist was like, okay, dad, they're pulling him out. Stand up and take some pictures. And he just did it. It was, <laughs> I'm glad I have those pictures, but he was so traumatized. But anyway, so, so yeah, we hired Megan and I was on board. I, we did the VBAC link birth class with Megan. David was kind of resistant because he was like, you told me we're only ever going to have to do the one birth class. <laughs> <laughs> be good for the rest. Then but. we had to come to the VBAC. Do you know Are what, it? though? The two of you that it were in that class, that two couples in that class that day, um, you guys, it was so fun to have you guys because, like, yeah, like, and you guys specifically because you knew so much. Like, you, like, almost helped me teach the class. <laughs> well, I've been listening. It was all the, this podcast. And I'm like, you, it's great. But it, it was, I did learn from the class. It wasn't not helpful after listening to the podcast. Right, um, right, yeah. And and it was mostly, I mean, honestly, I think the biggest benefit though was for him because he hasn't been listening to the podcast. And so for him to kind of get up to speed with me and like, it was so interesting leaving the class. He was like, oh, so are you going to go to a pelvic floor physical therapist? Like you're going to get chiropractic. He, he was like on board and supportive of all the things. And so that okay, was- Okay, can I just like say one thing really quick? Yeah, one little like shameless plug for our class. Like the we have an online and in person, but we hear that so much. 
is that it helps the birth partner get on the same page as the birthing parent, like who's been listening to the podcast and doing her own research. Because let's be honest, guys aren't going to just sit there at the computer and spend a lot of time looking up or listening to birth stories and podcasts about birth. They just, they just don't. And we hear that so much when people walk away from the class is that it helps me and my partner get on the same page. And then their partners are also big advocates for the birth that they want as well. And so I'm just, it made me really happy to hear you say that because that's one of the things that we really worked hard to try and do is like bring people together. And it's like the guys just love, love that stuff when they hear it, like in that way and put in front of them and things like that. I think it's really powerful and it helps them like logic, like why it makes sense yeah. to move forward that way. Anyway. For sure. Yeah. And um, my shameless plug now. No, it's great. <laughs> it's very true. And luckily Megan was super helpful with providers in the area. And the reason I now had to switch to my third provider and third hospital is because we changed insurance. So I couldn't go to the hospital where we were at before, which I had been planning because my doctor was so like, yes, you're going to be great. You can have a VBAC. I was just going to go back to her pre-VBAC link. And so I picked my provider who has been talked about here a lot (laughs) and he was great. I felt really encouraged at the first appointment when he was like, you know, how's your kind of, as we were walking out, he's like, well, what does your husband think? Like, do do you want to bring him? And I can tell him all the stats about how VBAC is better than a repeat C-section. And just that alone, I was like, seriously, like this doctor is willing to advocate to my husband about VBACs. (laughs) That's great. I love it. So I, that was really a great way to kick off that pregnancy. And it was interesting. Me and Megan talked about this. He kind of, was less supportive and got more supportive kind of throughout the pregnancy. <laughs> I don't know, based on maybe some personal stuff, but I did let at my last appointment before I went into labor, he was like, you know, I'm basically treating you like you're a done deal. Like it, it, it would be surprising to me if you don't get your V back. And just to hearing yeah. that, like, I was like, it, it's just so nice to hear your providers support you to that extent of like, it's a done deal. I'm not, they, they, you know, they don't have in the back of your, their head, like this might not work. And I do have to say, like, I realize I'm really lucky. And throughout my second and third provider, I could tell they were really biased because I had had a successful first vaginal birth. And so just shout out to everybody who didn't and good job for advocating to yourself for yourself, because it, it kind of, it made me feel lucky, but it also made me feel kind of frustrated that they were so in like that they were so like, well, you already did it. So now we believe in you, you know, (laughs) but everybody can do it. It's like, and, and I kept thinking I pushed for three hours on my back and it like another provider might've been like, this is too long. I'm calling it. You know, I just got lucky that I had a patient provider the first time, but who also didn't help me with any other positions or anything, but you know what I'm saying? So anyway, Megan, as my duel was awesome, I kind of lost my mind at the end. I feel like... You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem with going into labor naturally with my first at 39 and 5, and then going so early, at th- almost 37 weeks with my second, is that I was like, Shh, I'm never going to 40 weeks. <laughs> 
And so the night before. And then the universe decides to teach you a lesson. Exactly. (laughs) So it happened with my force. Yeah, exactly. I was so confident. I flew my mom out at 39 weeks, (laughs) which is great and horrible because I felt so bad. Oh my Um, gosh. Because I was like, oh, it'll be this week sometime. Like, she'll be here a few days before, and that'll be really nice because I won't be super tired while I have. I, I had some prodromal labor with my first, so I thought, okay, like, that's going to happen with this one, too. Like, I'll have contractions that'll be consistent for hours, and they'll stop and start for a few days before I actually go into labor, and it'll be nice to have my mom here. And so <laughs> I think I think it was the day before 40 weeks I texted Megan, and I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, some of my clients have had success with this hike. And so I told my husband, I'm like, tomorrow morning, we're going hiking. <laughs> <laughs> and that hike was closed, but we knew a different one that we had done before. And I just walked as fast as I could up these hills until I finally, I, I think we walked for a good hour or more. Finally, I was like, okay, I can barely walk because I've been so aggressive with this. <laughs> Determined. <laughs> You were determined. And I went home and I got my pump out and I pumped it. I was like, this is the day I am not doing this anymore. And of course that didn't happen. And, and so like the next four, was it four days? Yeah. I think I went at, yeah, 40 and four. It was like a roller coaster of emotion. (laughs) Every day getting closer to 41 weeks was a mind game. And I, I think yeah, the thing that saved me besides Megan was great and checking in was I decided to do hypno babies because I was so like, I need, besides my doula, I need some sort of pain game because I didn't have any the first time. And I was pretty sure I was not going to be the person that just felt pressure. Kudos to those people. But what I think, the, and I wasn't, but the super helpful thing was the all the prep stuff because my mom was there, I got to do like some really long walks, just listening to all the visualizations and just a lot of the fear release and the communicating with the baby. And I did that while curb walking extensively. (laughs) And I just got to like a really good, every time I was really like emotionally struggling, I could put that on and do one of those tracks. And it just, it, made me feel peaceful it made me feel like I'm making the right choice it made it just felt like my body knows what to do my baby knows what to do we're okay and so that was I think really helpful mentally though I do have to say the night I went into labor I went to bed crying (laughs) and right at midnight my water I woke up and my water had broken and I was like yes this is it had prepared with the v-bag link stuff like you don't go immediately. You're going to wait for contractions to start. But I had been having basically prodromal labor on and off for that week. And so it's, I went to the bathroom. I grabbed my Depends that I had bought for this reason. And my labor started really quickly and really strong. And I threw on my hypno babies. I made my husband give me some food. And I have to say, like, the whole labor, it was so weird. I thought it was like way longer than it was (laughs) talking to David and Megan after I was like that was the weirdest mind I mean mind trip was just how long so I it actually felt yeah yeah. how long it felt so I felt like Megan came over like really fast after I went into labor but I think it was probably I don't know what time you got there it was a couple I mean it was evening late evening 
Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I woke up at 12, contractions started seriously like five minutes later. And I guess it was early morning, technically. Yeah. Yeah. So Megan came and feel free to jump in and add your perspective. I love those podcasts when you guys add. <laughs> You're there. I think it's fun. But <laughs> Megan came and it was just, it was really powerful. My first was not like that. It was slow builds, like way more, I don't know. They they never got closer than five minutes apart, even when I was pushing with my first. And with this one, they were long, they were powerful, they were like had to breathe through them at, at the start. And you really were like coping so well. You had your tracks in on your bed. Yeah. You were just like rocking it. Well, I I mean, when you're so when you when you go past forty weeks, you're like I know. you're welcoming it. You're like yes, finally, you're like, let's do this. Yeah, it's like you're so <laughs> mentally like. I am here to do this. So, but so yeah, so Megan came and I don't, it was crazy too. I just was so much more in tune. I don't know if that was just all the mindfulness work I had been doing up to then, but like I could feel her moving down, which was scary and cool at the same time. And so basically Megan and I were both like, okay, like I, I didn't have any reference other than my first birth. And I was like, this is just so much more powerful. This is weird. And Megan also was mindful of that. And so we just decided to go in at three. So it'd been a couple or a few hours, but I seriously yeah. thought I was shocked. I thought we went in at like, I don't know, <laughs> like one or two. <laughs> no, well, we were there for a little bit and then like, I could tell it was getting more intense. And then you went to the bathroom and you walked out and the way you were walking, I was like, okay like we're getting like we're getting into a great place where it's time for us to go like it would be okay for us to go yeah and so we got there and (laughs) the funny I like I thought this was funny but to get into the room and the hospitalist checks me and I'm at a four and I was like what (laughs) because it was just so intense I didn't think I'd been laboring forever I was just like this is crazy I can feel that this is intense and he was like well don't blame me he was like kind of like (laughs) that I was mad at him I was just surprised (laughs) and the great thing was at least from my perspective was it seemed like everybody just kind of left us alone in there Mm -hmm. and so well they were all worried about their computer system yeah yeah (laughs) because once again they had what they had done is that they hadn't re like it wasn't a reboot it was a re like a new program and so like they were trying to like get this new program up and do you remember like they were like complaining about it yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole birth. It was. I, and I, had I can't my, believe this. I had my over the ear headphones on the whole time. And I was aware yes. that they were all freaking out about it. They anyway, were freaking out. So but, they were all worried yeah. about their computer system. Like they were just like left us alone. Yeah. Which was amazing. And and I was kind of disappointed in myself for leaving when it was only for leaving the house. Like Megan and I had talked about in our pre-appointments, you know, trying to stay as long as possible at home. And I kind of wanted also like mentally the whole thing, like I knew I could have a vaginal birth with an epidural, but that's not what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And, and so to kind of help myself not go there, I was like, I'm going to stay at home for as long as possible. So I get there and it's not an option. And so being there was in kind of like frustrating. Yeah. Because I was like, I know it's an option now and I know I've I've already done it and I know. And, but Megan was seriously the game changer. This is where I'm like, (laughs) because especially as it got more and more intense like it was interesting like she did I Megan you were ripped she (laughs) hip squeezes and it that was the worked out 
Oh my gosh. I remember it was helpful one time, like I'm sure Megan was taking a break for a sec because she needed it. And, and the contraction started and it was just interesting because she'd been so on top of it that one to feel the difference when you came in like a few seconds in to feel the (laughs) insane difference of pain. That's good. I was like, (laughs) That, like, I couldn't have done it without that. And I just felt so supported the whole time my husband and Megan. It felt like I was not communicating with anyone. I was in my own little world with my tracks on, my over-the-ear headphones. And they were just, like, omnisciently, like, water, chapstick, cold washcloth, counter pressure the entire time. (laughs) And it was so, it just felt so awesome to be so supported. And the other thing, it felt super, just because this labor was really intense, I, I had her right around six. So it was six hours total. And it was, so it was pretty intense. And it was just, it just so nice to feel like one supported and two, it just felt inevitable. Like this baby is coming out of my vagina and there's nothing anyone can do to stop this. (laughs) Like the intensity of it kind of just made me feel like powerful. And it gave me a lot of like peace too, that it was, my body's working. This is how it's supposed to go. And the great thing, the weirdly great thing was because that my provider, he was overall really supportive. He never said anything specifically not supportive, but he just wasn't as enthusiastic midway through, which I talked through with Megan. And yeah, midway through, I was like, is it my, do I need to switch away? Cause I'm listening to, you know, women who switch away and it's a good choice. And David and I had even talked about birth center for a minute. And so I was trying to figure out like intuition wise and, and I, I came like, I don't know, intuition wise, I finally came to like, I feel like maybe he's not like, he's not the most supportive, like he's not a midwife who's going to be like, I'm going all in. I will figure out how to get this for you. But mm-hmm. I just felt like he was going to be a non-factor. It was this weird thing where I was like, no, I feel like this is going to happen and it doesn't matter what he's doing. I don't know why I came to that. But weirdly, in the birth, he, he they tried to call him. He was and, MIA. And he was MIA. And <laughs> like um, no one could apparently get a hold of him. And then, and the nurse who was on with us, I found out after, had five kids of her own and was a doula as well. So in my head, I called Megan my nice doula and this nurse my mean doula. <laughs> <laughs> um, because Megan was like super supportive. And then... This, she was so, just blunt. She was like, very, very blunt. Yeah. But I did, I did need her. You get, did, yeah. And so it was kind of nice to have like semi-double doula because like I said, I wanted to go unmedicated, but it was just, it was very intense. And I think I might have been around transition. I don't know, Megan, you better perspective of that. But I did ask for an epidural. So she just was like, She's like, well, it's going to, I have to get a whole IV bag in you. You're not going to have enough time. And I was like, well, just, I just needed the hope. And I was like, just do it. Just give me the IV bag. And, you know, maybe it won't make it, but I just need like this hope of pain relief. And I had had, uh, we, we fixed it towards the end, but I had started to have some back labor. Back labor. And so a lot of the time these contractions were really intense and then you want to rest in between the contractions, but I was still having lingering pain in between them. So I could never fully rest. It finally got really bad and Megan laid me on my side and that helped a ton. Uh, So she was like, and then the mean doula (laughs) nurse comes back and she's like, why do you want an epidural? Like she's in my face and I'm like, 
And I finally, like, I didn't realize I was holding on to this fear, but I was like, I'm afraid that it's going to get more intense. Like, I'm afraid that pushing is going to be, like, I am barely handling this with all the support. I, I just can't fathom it getting worse during pushing. I always just assumed pushing was going to be worse than the actual labor. And she's like, no, it's going to be a relief. You're going to love it. It's going to be way better than this. And I was like, and for some reason I just trusted her and I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it without an epidural. Like once I, that fear was like out there and she told me it was wrong. She could have been wrong, but she was right. Luckily, <laughs> as soon as I got, I, well, my body started pushing involuntarily and I wasn't at a 10, which was like the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> Cause not pushing when your body's pushing and people telling you not to push while your body's pushing is like impossible. Kind of miserable. Yeah. Yeah. So that was towards the end. And oh man, I, Megan was smart and realized I hadn't gone to the bathroom in a while, right around almost, almost there. So I went to the bathroom and sitting and I faced the, back of the toilet and sitting there and then having a contraction and then it involuntarily pushing in that position and trying not to in in that position it, i was like this is impossible <laughs> i know why women have babies on the toilet this is the <laughs> very mm-hmm. effective position so anyway we went back to the bed and i tried to start pushing on my side or once i was finally dilated and That was nice, not because it was super effective, but because finally, finally, now that I was dilated and I was, they were like, okay, you can push now. It was relief. Like I was able to fully relax in between each contraction. It was amazing after that really intense sprint. And then it was crazy. It was, I I can only liken it to like throwing up (laughs) when you have no control over your body and it's just happening. That was so interesting to involuntarily push and then to be able to choose to help it help your body and luckily I did listen to the class and I had gone and seen um, an amazing pelvic floor physical therapist and one of the questions I'd asked her was how do you push because with my first I couldn't feel anything and I think that's partly why it took so long and also because you've just never done it before you can't feel your muscles and then you've never done it before and they just like push and you're like I, what? (laughs) And so she had coached me and I had practiced uh, leading up. And so it was so empowering when my body starts involuntarily pushing to have that knowledge of like, okay, and now this is what I'm supposed to do. And I know what to do and I'm pushing and helping in the right way. It, It was just, that was really awesome. And so then I switched to the squat bar and it was in retrospect, I literally can't believe that I like, I was screaming (laughs) I don't know how do you describe it very unmedicated birth like stereotypical like vocalizing I the rest of the day I like lost my voice (laughs) and I was not self-conscious at all which makes me laugh now and um the doctor that came from the practice was the perfect fit for the this birth like I love him my my friends (laughs) call him my friends who also see him call him the surfer doctor like he oh my gosh yeah (laughs) yeah and so he was so mean doula and Megan are like helping me and coaching me and he just like walks in and he's like hey guys and he likes he's literally like not involved at all just sitting there waiting to catch the baby like whatever (laughs) yeah but it was perfect because for me it like totally fit my mood too of like I am doing this when they, they were like oh my gosh maybe the hospitalists will have to catch this baby like the nurses are freaking out and I was like it doesn't matter. Megan's competent. I'm sure these nurses can catch 
a baby. This is inevitable. This is happening. I don't care who's here. And, <laughs> and, and it, I don't know. It's just kind of nice to be like, it, it's just like this 360 of like, the doctor doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like you can do this. Your body knows how to do this. And they don't, I don't know. You don't need them. That sounds bad, but that's kind of how I felt. And I definitely thought of, I'm a woman of strength while I was pushing across my mind from the podcast. And also I'm the man in the arena. I love the Bernie Brown quote from, it's not mm. her quote, but the, um, the quote where it talks about getting out there and actually trying. And, and I, for me, I didn't want, I didn't want an epidural to help with the actual V back to up my chances, but I also didn't want an epidural because I felt like I was now finally being proactive in my own life instead of reactive and just going with whatever the doctors told me. And that kind of an epidural was, you just, you have all these chances to dull the pain or to kind of cop out in life. And I felt like I don't want to do that this time. It was just, it sounds weird, but it was kind of symbolic <laughs> for yeah. me. I like, I want to, I want to live. I want to fully feel this and I, this is my choice. And so anyway, it was just super empowering and I couldn't have done it without you guys and Megan and thanks for listening to my story. You guys are amazing. Oh, we love you. And we love your story. It was so fun. I just, we should have like a reunion of <laughs> Desi and Megan and me and you and just everybody who wants to come and we should just all get together and have fun. And it sounds like you had a really great birth, but I want to go back to your form really fast that you filled out. And give your advice because we have two things that we're going to be asking our guests from now on. And the first one is what is a what is a lesson or something no one really talks about that you wish you would have known ahead of time when preparing for birth? And I really love what you wrote. So I'm just going to read it word for word, if that's okay with you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, she said, your birth, no matter what type, C-section, surgical delivery, medicated vaginal, unmedicated vaginal, can either be reactive or proactive. The way you feel about your birth will be largely determined not by the type of birth, but by your choices or lack of choice during your birth. Yes, mm -hmm. I love that so much. And then the next thing, and I also would like to read this word for word if you don't mind, because it's just yeah, so eloquent. We ask, what is your best tip for someone preparing for a VBAC? And she said, as Brene Brown says, you're in the middle of an FFT, which stands for effing first time. <laughs> and firsts are hard. It's okay and normal to feel all the emotions. It's okay if you don't know what the next right thing is. Get support, lower your expectations, and stick to what you want. And yes. I absolutely love that. I'm going to make social media images out of both of those quotes, just <laughs> so you know, because they're just really great. <laughs> Oh my goodness. We just love having you on. We love all of your story. Um, is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap it up? You or Megan? I just love listening to everybody else and all the people in the community. It's so empowering to hear everyone else's story. And I listened to these while I was pregnant and it's really stressful. So if you're listening to this and you're pregnant, you will come out the other side and it'll be okay. And you can do this. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. 
For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.